Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. In this week's episode, I sit down with Leah Bright, who leads PMM at Gusto. We'll hear Leah's perspective on being a woman in the tech industry, how she organizes her team based on the audiences they serve, and the importance of bringing your whole self to work. Can't wait for this conversation. Let's do this. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards, delivered everywhere your sales reps live, and allowing them to contribute insights from the field. It's competitive strategy as a key lever of revenue. Elevate your role and outmaneuver, outplay, and outmatch the competition with Clue. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. Today, I am chatting with Leah Bright, the head of product marketing for accountants at Gusto. Leah is an experienced product marketing leader with both B2B and B2C experience, and she also holds an MBA. Welcome to the show, Leah. So excited to have you today. Thanks so much, Mary. It's so wonderful to be here. Great. So let's just get right into it with my favorite question for this season, which is what inspires you? Yeah, I would say something that's been on my mind a lot recently is a quote by Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he said, when I was young, I used to admire intelligent people. And as I grow older, I admire kind people. When I think about the interactions that I have with folks at work, as well as folks in my personal life, I am just most impressed by the people that just bring patience and discipline and that egoless vulnerability to conversations that makes people feel welcome, like they can share, like they can do their best work. And like they're being accepted for who they are. And so I think that's really top of mind. It's something I admire. I love that. And, you know, it's a good reminder. It's free to be kind. It doesn't take a lot of time to be kind. So it's something that we can do in our daily lives and it really makes such an impact. So thank you so much for sharing that. I really am inspired by that as well. And I'd love to hear more about your role as the head of PMM for accountants and tell us more about that and tell us how it's going at Gusto. Yeah, yeah. So Gusto is the modern people platform. So if you are looking to do anything to take care of your team, Gusto can probably help you out. If you're looking to pay your team, if you're looking to provide benefits to your hardworking team, manage things on the HR spectrum, Gusto really is that full-fledged people platform that's there to support employers at every stage of their journey. When we think about product marketing at Gusto, you know, our manifesto is to keep the customer at the center of everything we do. We operate as a forward-looking, data-driven, customer-centric storytelling team, really strategizing on the market opportunity, the competitive landscape, customer and prospect insights and their journeys, messaging, positioning, packaging, and pricing, all in service of delighting our customers and driving business outcomes. Awesome. Thanks so much. And can you tell us a little bit more about your team within that? How many people on your team? How do you organize yourselves? Yeah, yeah. So the broader product marketing team at Gusto is organized around segments. We have four key customer segments. They're all dedicated to the primary customers that we serve. And so we have one segment that's dedicated to employers, another that's dedicated to accountants, another dedicated to members. And those are the individuals and folks that work for those employers. And then finally is our Gusto Embedded Payroll Solution, which is an API-driven solution. And so we have our whole company really dedicated around who we serve as our customer base 
ways. And then that's also how our product marketing team is organized. And then within employer, we have that broken out into two sub-segments because we have really quite different needs within employers. We have those that serve core, which we consider folks with 10 or fewer employees. And then we have folks that serve more than 10 employees. And so that's just kind of how we divide up our team. And then within accountants, we've got three folks that work on the team and they map both to product managers that they work with day in, day out. And they also map to just some of the unique skill sets and points of view that they bring from their past experience and how that helps them with various activities that they're responsible for doing, whether it is being more focused on pricing and promotions or whether that is being focused more on working with our sales team, sales training, updating collateral, things like that. So each person has both their area of focus in terms of product, as well as their area of focus in terms of go-to-market motion or research or pricing. I love that. I've never actually worked at a company where it's been so focused and organized on the persona, but there's a lot of dividends that pay just by being so laser focused on those specific groups, just all the language that you can share, all of the different learnings for all of these different audiences. So that is super cool to hear more about that. And before we jump into today's meaty content, so we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to chat on KPIs, on stakeholder management, all those PMM goodies. Since this is women in product marketing, I wanted to take a moment to talk a bit about your perspective of as being a woman in this industry and in the working world. And I know you have a really strong perspective on that and how it might be different for us as well as anyone that's faced adversity. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about your perspective on on that before we go forward. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I've definitely experienced in my career is that we like to encourage Augusto people to bring their whole selves to work, that you're not just a professional, you know, you've got multiple identities that are kind of layering on top of one another. And as much as we can do to compartmentalize that stuff, sometimes stuff just comes up and there's overlaps between your work life, your home life, your past experiences and your present experiences. And so when I think about the different perspectives that folks bring to the workplace, the work that they do, the customers that they serve and how they do their work. I've definitely noticed a difference in folks that have faced that adversity. And so whether it is because of their gender, whether it is LGBTQ, class-based discrimination, folks that have gone through that, I've really seen a different level of empathy coming from them in terms of how they interact with their coworkers, how they think about serving customers. And I think the broader the perspectives that you can bring to the table, because at any given time, we're serving customers that have really broad-based experiences. They don't just have a singular gender. They don't just have a singular background. And so the more that we can do to create these inclusive teams with these really broad-based experiences, that makes sure that we can best reflect our customer experiences through our products, through our programs, through our marketing efforts. And so I think that's where I've really seen a big difference. And of course, I've faced some of that. There's been moments of time where I have had to question the experience that I'm having and like, huh, well, I didn't expect that to go quite that way. Like, why was that? Was that a reflection of like me and how I'm showing up in this moment? Or is that a reflection of the fact that like, I'm a woman and am I seeing my male colleagues be treated the same way or a little bit differently? And so I think that that has really encouraged me to make sure that we are creating equity in the workplace and that we are thinking about the different identities that people bring to work and making sure that people feel included for their perspectives that they bring and that they're also compensated, rewarded equally, regardless of whatever they are bringing into the workplace. Because I think that's really what it takes to create places where people feel valued and can do their best work. 
That's so thoughtful. And I think there's obviously systemic problems at play here, but a very important step for these companies is just making sure that we're aware of this, hiring really diverse teams, bringing it to the forefront when we see that different groups are not being compensated in the same way. And there are so many studies done, or I think you're referencing this, that business is actually so much better when there are diverse groups, having those diverse perspectives, the voice of the customer, just anything that can make us think and feel differently about our perspective, I think is so important. So thank you so much for sharing that. I love your thoughtful approach and your empathy on that topic. So I wanted to make sure we touched on that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now let's get into it. So this is from your AMA on B2B product marketing KPIs, which I loved and highly recommend everyone to check out. But I wanted to start off by understanding what is an important KPI that you see product marketing teams just completely missing? Yeah. And I think KPIs for product marketing, depending on the organization that you work at, are going to be at very different stages of their evolution and how sophisticated they are. It's certainly what I've seen in my career. But rather than a KPI itself, one thing I see teams missing often is just impact. A lot of teams are really focused on like, okay, what's the output that I'm doing this quarter, this half, this whole year, whatever that happens to be, rather than taking a step back and saying, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve as an organization? And how can I make sure that the work that I'm doing ladder up to that overall company objective. And I think that's so important because number one, that's how we create the business results that we want. And it's also how we create a sense of accomplishment and a sense of collaboration on people's teams. People, individual contributors, they want to know that the work that they're doing matters and they want to know how the work that they're doing every day ladders up to the company vision and overall performance. And I think that creates more energy and drive for them to contribute well and to contribute alongside their counterparts to make sure that we're marching towards those same objectives together. And so I think that's super important. It's important for companies to really establish what they're trying to achieve together and then give it back to the teams and say, great, we want you all to let us know what you can do to help us achieve this overall company objective. So thinking about what is that output to impact framework and being really thoughtful about, okay, we've got this big company objective that we're trying to achieve together. Let's say that we're trying to increase ACD, our annual contract value. And so we're thinking about what is within PMM's scope that could help us increase ACV. And so maybe we've got some upcoming product launches that are actually going to be product launches that are add-ons or placed in higher tiers where we could see higher ACV being driven if we're able to get the awareness and adoption of these products. And so mapping back that big company objective to the work that you're doing day to day and kind of what are your level one metrics to your level two metrics to your level three metrics, and then your output that's going to contribute to that. So you influence for this feature to be built working with your product teams, you advocated for it. And then here's what you did alongside integrated marketing, lifecycle marketing, whoever your counterparts are, your channel partners that you're working with to get that message out into the world. And how did those campaign metrics tell you that yes, whatever we were putting out into the world is making that positive contribution and driving that awareness and adoption, ultimately leading to that higher ACV. So I think that's the biggest thing that I see product marketing teams and broader teams really missing as well. I'm so glad you brought this up. And I don't think this approach can be understated or overstated enough, rather. Having that North Star metric and really understanding what the company goal is, and then really taking that tops down approach, as well as your bottoms up approach for what you're planning, what products are on the roadmap, what go to market activities you're planning, and making sure that they're aligned. Yes, I think that is such a big mistake that either product marketing doesn't understand what the top line goals are, and they're working in a 
silo or they're just going off of outdated information and working on things that maybe don't really matter, but to ultimately show that impact, I totally agree. You need to look at it through the lens of the broader company. As kind of a follow-up on that, what if the company North Star goals aren't that apparent? What would you recommend or how would you recommend finding out what the most important objectives are if you're new to product marketing, for example? Yeah, I would say the first thing you should do is start the conversation with your manager and you will figure out if your manager has that information and can share it, or if you need to go a little bit higher in that chain of command to get that information. And the other thing that will be really important about getting that information on what the high level North Star metrics are is it's a really great way to prioritize the work that you're doing. I think all PMMs can probably attest to the fact that they've got more work on their plates at any given moment than a human can actually achieve during a normal workday. And so when you're looking at the work that you're actually doing a great way to prioritize that work is looking at like, okay, does this contribute to that top line company metric? Does this help us hit our goals? If yes, if no, how does that impact the priority? And you should be working on things that do impact those goals. And by being really thoughtful about what those goals are, putting that into your OKRs, you kind of have this guiding light through your day-to-day to let you know whether the work that you're doing matters. So great. And I also think having a plan like that helps you say no to 16 vertical specific one sheets that a sales manager might ask for, (laughs) you know, how does that actually roll up to your OKRs? How does that roll up to the typeline business? And I think people really respect when you say no, especially when you can back it up with the amazing things you are working on that are going to help move the needle. So I love that. And just really piecing together the framework for how you can do that. So that's super important. And I also love just starting with your manager and continuing up the chain of command, like you mentioned, because I think earlier in my career, sometimes I was embarrassed to ask and I thought, oh, it must be me if it's not obvious. So I must just go and work on this other thing where really it might've just been a little bit of opening Pandora's box, but getting to ask those harder questions, pushing the envelope, sometimes those plans or that top line KPI wasn't really articulated really well. So you might end up being the catalyst for making sure that it's more organized and communicated more regularly within your company. So don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I would say, especially when you're entering a new organization, you are not expected to know anything. And so record all of your questions, ask all of them up front. Do not be shy about being curious. If something is not obvious, ask the question. Your future self will thank you for it. That's great. I'm actually starting a new role at Adobe when I come back from maternity leave. So great reminder to myself to do that. All right. So I'd love to now move a bit into staying with KPIs, but understanding how you might break down responsibilities and KPIs for product launches, because so many different teams touch this. So for example, how might you break down KPIs between demand gen and product marketing and the ownership for that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think that product marketing's work is so cross-functional and it tends to be also just very upfront and strategic. So it's a lot based on doing the research, understanding who your customer is, understanding the market landscape, understanding the competitive landscape, carving out differentiation. And a lot of that stuff is pretty hard to write direct KPIs against. And so a lot of it is going to come down to shared KPIs because these are things the company is going to be working on 
on together. And you're going to be working hand in hand with your demand gen partners, integrated life cycle, you know, all these different teams to figure out how you can best move the needle on the metrics that matter for the organization. So up front, just get comfortable with the fact that other than in period deliverables, there are very few things where product marketing is going to solely own the metric because you're either going to share them with marketing or you're going to share them with your product counterparts in terms of driving adoption, driving awareness, and how satisfied customers are using that new product that you've launched. So get comfortable with that and build really great partnerships, making sure that you're working with people, teams that make you smarter, make you better, that you're working hand in hand with them and being upfront about the fact that like, Hey, this is a shared metric. How are we going to get here together? I think that's really more important than anything. And then I think it comes back to really thoughtfully mapping how you might try to tease apart the work and the contributions. So if product marketing is responsible, for example, for messaging and positioning, what can you do from a messaging testing perspective to get a solid read on whether you believe that this messaging is going to resonate in market? And if you've got clarity that that's going to be a message that resonates in market, then if the campaign falters for some reason or does exceptionally well, you'll understand a little bit more about how the product marketing work contributed to that in addition to the media plan and the actual creative execution that went into it. But in general, yeah, it's about building really good, solid partnerships and believing that you're going to achieve success together when you're all rowing the boat in the same direction. I think that's such a realistic answer instead of trying to nickel and dime apart a metric that's actually meaningful and what your specific contribution to it is to keep with the maritime analogies, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. So having those shared metrics can be really meaningful in that aspect. So I love that approach. So on the same vein and related to eventually what will build the KPIs, what do you think about extensive competitive product research and how can that actually level up to ultimate KPIs? How do you approach it? And then how does it level up to the main goals that you're working on? Yeah. And competitive research is one of those ones that it can be so broad. And so when you look at competitive research, you can be looking at, okay, well, what are our competitors messaging? What is the segment that they are likely targeting? What do their marketing activities look like? What are they rolling out from a product perspective? Where are we at in terms of feature parity with these products? What does it look like from a pricing and packaging standpoint? What does their promotional calendar look like? And so there are so many different dimensions of competitive research. So I think it's about figuring out and getting alignment with your stakeholders that you're conducting competitive research kind of on behalf of because competitive research is going to be used by your product teams. It's going to be used by your sales teams. It's going to be used by your marketing teams, your CS teams. It's just a very foundational document. So getting clarity with them on really what matters to us when it comes to competitive research. What are we trying to get out of this competitive research? Is it for the goal of building battle cards? That way our sales team has things in their back pockets when we might be up against a competitor in a sales conversation? Or is it really about product innovation and differentiation and what portion of the market we really feel like we can own. So figuring out what your goal is, I think for the competitive information upfront is really important. And then in terms of goal, this is where it's going to be, okay, I would say it's about that in-period deliverable. And then I think another thing that you could do and potentially goal off of is because it is such a foundational document, how satisfied are your counterparts and your cross-functional partners and stakeholders with the work that got produced? Can you send out a quick Google survey afterwards to say, hey, did this miss? the mark? Did this meet the mark? What would we do differently or better next time? I think that can be one of the most effective ways to figure out whether folks internally got the information that they needed out of the work. Because otherwise, I don't know that there's like a specific KPI, especially a company level KPI that you could really build up to for competitive intel. 
One thing I might add that we've done successfully on past teams, in addition to what you've mentioned, I love the satisfaction survey. And I think that's a great way to understand, did this meet the mark? You know, are they getting what they need? Is everything up to snuff? One way we have changed the game with competitive is actually tying it to our win-loss. So starting from nothing from a competitive perspective, or it's been really outdated, if we're able to revamp that competitive Intel program and then have regular updates on it, have objection handling sessions with the battle cards, things like that, then you can do this regular check-in against your win-loss and see if it's actually moving the needle. And then the win-loss is a really good barometer of average order value increase of revenue, tying it to that top line goal. So just some food for thought of something that's worked well. Well, for me, and again, it's something that you can't do on a monthly basis. It's at the very minimum quarterly, if not biannually or annually, but just one way to kind of level it up to show, oh, hey, we had nothing. Now we have this amazing competitive program and the win-loss numbers are really speaking. So kind of a way to tie that PMM influence in that I found successful too. Yeah, I love that. And when you all thought about doing that, I'm curious how you approached it in terms of the competitors that you included in the win-loss. And if you all were looking at the deltas for competitors that were included in the competitive research versus ones that you maybe hadn't included in the competitive research and how like, oh, we actually did competitive research, let's say against these three companies. And we saw from a win-loss perspective, our win rates went up 10%, but for the competitors that we actually didn't include in the competitive research, our win-loss stayed flat. And so we can show that like actually this really thoughtful research produced this delta between the competitors that were included and not like, I don't know. That's an I idea. That. How did you look up? I love that you're interviewing me now too, by the way, this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. We did not try that, but I think that's brilliant. But I do love tiering the competitors because what we did find during this exercise was that we were doing competitive Intel for like 12 competitors when in reality, two were our main competitors that we were losing yeah. deals to. So sometimes you might be doing all this extra work, but does a competitor that comes up and calls, but you never lose a deal to, does that warrant the same level of effort as the competitor that literally it's always coming down to head to head, you know, contract negotiations, you should put more emphasis on that. But I actually love, especially with limited resources, like why not do it on a rolling basis, like you're mentioning, and then actually test from there. So I'm going to do that at my next job, but I love love that. (laughs) Awesome. Sneaky competitive tips within this episode. That's already chock full of goodies. I love it. Well, great. Well, I think something that we've talked about a lot on the show in general, but we could never talk about it enough is stakeholder management. And I know that this is something that you're a superhuman at in particular, but to kind of get gears into this next topic, what marketing tools, so things like personas or buyer journeys, have you found the most effective in getting stakeholders to align on your marketing strategy or to care about your marketing strategy? Yeah, I think it's so to get alignment, I think it really is about the foundational documents that are based in research and data. And so those are going to be things like your competitive intel and getting alignment on exactly what you're just saying. Who are your top competitors? Who are you winning against? And who are you also losing customers to against? And how do you think about that in terms of prioritization? Personas, research, making sure that when it actually gets to the marketing strategy portion, you're having meaningful conversations with your counterparts on the marketing strategy and not a debate about the customer insights or what customers care about most. And so I think actually one of the most effective tools is your, if you want to call it this, like your merchandising strategy for these assets. So when you and your teams are investing countless hours dedicated to 
buyer journeys, personas, competitive research. How well are you doing at making sure that all of your stakeholders, all of your counterparts know about that, that they're integrated into their day-to-day, that you've got alignment and agreement on the baseline data that is in there? And, you know, can you do things like track? Okay, you know, like Google Suite has great tracking and analytics like built into these docs. So you can go in and you can see how these docs are being used. Are they being used like you're expecting before you roll out? So kind of coming back and tying it to KPIs before you roll out a competitive, like let's say Google Sheet. Can you say, okay, our expectation that if this was effective, it would be getting used by 50 stakeholders on a weekly basis. And then you can go into your analytics and you can see, okay, how often are people referencing this? Is this actually being used in their day-to-day? If not, why not? Is it an awareness problem? Is it a problem where somehow we haven't like integrated it into the flow of their day-to-day? Or is it an issue where the information that's included is just really not that useful and we need to re-examine some of the, the fundamental items that we've included in the competitive research. So I think really getting alignment upfront on these documents, making sure that you agree with some of the core insights in them, that's one of the most important things that you can do. That way you've already kind of like pre-sold that alignment. So when it comes to the marketing strategy, it's much easier just to have the conversation about marketing strategy and not some of the fundamentals that contributed to it. So smart. And I think that a lot of people miss that step in the rush to just make sure, oh, we got to get the marketing strategy. Let's get all this data. But you have to have those checkpoints along the way. The worst thing is to be in a meeting where there's a squeaky wheel stakeholder and they're really asking you pointed questions about the data that has now informed your whole strategy. So, so important. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And I think you make a really great point with that, which is that we all know who those stakeholders are. And so do yourself the solid and pre-flight that information with that individual in a one-on-one format before you go into that bigger session where it will seem to teams like you don't have alignment or it will waste those teams time. Whatever those stakeholders are, you absolutely need their agreement and your buy-in and you're you're a little bit worried that they might not be fully on board. Get that done in a one-on-one before you go to the bigger format meetings. Oh, 1000%. And I actually love to even take it a step further and call out that squeaky wheel in the meeting say, well, when John and I were talking about this, we really agreed that blah, 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 blah. So you kind of, they love it. They love being included. And yeah, you always, you know exactly who your squeaky wheel is. Just go to the root of the problem. Totally. I love it. We're reading off the same playbook with that one. What about when you find yourself as the therapist or someone in the middle of a bunch of different stakeholders, or maybe even just two stakeholders that have really conflicting feedback. So on anything, but in particular on, let's say sales enablement. So maybe you're in between all of a sudden a sales leader and a product leader, and they just do not agree on how you're positioning this first call deck. What do you do? How do you approach that? Yeah. I think when you realize you've gotten into that impasse, it's about coming back to kind of like two primary things. What's your overall goal? Can you get alignment on your overall goal? Because then when folks don't have alignment, we can just reference back to the goal and which of these ways of doing something or which of these opinions is better in service of that goal. And the second is establishing whatever like your rapid racy daisy is. Who's the ultimate decision maker? Who do you need agreement on? What, of course, everyone's like allowed to have an opinion on everything, but some opinions are going to matter more than others. And so if you can 
define that up front. It makes it really clear what role we're asking each person to play. And ultimately, who's going to be able to throw down the gauntlet if it does, unfortunately, come down to that. And I think a lot of stakeholders, oftentimes, there's a little bit of relief in knowing that they have a clearly defined rapid. And when that doesn't happen, that's when I have actually seen people go toe to toe the most because it's not clear who's supposed to be making the decision and who's ultimately responsible for the outcome of that. So I think it creates a lot of clarity and peace of mind for stakeholders, the more that you can establish that up front. So I would go back to that. I'd go back to kind of your foundational documents, your brief, and make sure that you've got alignment on some of those foundational things, and then go back to whatever the conflict is and see if you can use that brief as a way to mediate your therapy session. That's such a good point, especially for things that get really contentious and emotional, like naming, you know, it's like, go back to the brief, go back to the original foundation and make sure you remind everyone what they have agreed upon instead of having a duel between two leaders about the specific wordings and machinations. And then the other last thought I had based on what you just said is like, is there a way to test it? Like, for example, with naming, do you have a customer advisory board where you think you've got really two solid contenders, but you're not sure how it's going to be perceived in market? Do you have a couple of trusted folks that you can go to and take that information to and see how it's going to resonate in market? That's another way to get that quick feedback early on and get more of that market sentiment, but I think is also really critical in making the, the final product better. That's great. And it helps you take the emotion out of it and not take sides. It's more like, hey, here's some data collected. This is what this customer advisory board is saying, the survey data. I love that. That's great. Any last general tips you have for product marketing, working specifically with our besties over on the product management side? I think understanding what's most important to them and how they're being gold is really important because I've definitely seen different product teams be gold and tracked and measured different ways. And that changes their expectations of product marketing. That changes the work that they expect product marketing to do and where they need the most support. So I think getting really clear upfront on like, what is product marketing's role in your organization? Because the flavors of product marketing can be quite different. And so I know that we've seen like, oh, as we brought in different product leaders, from different organizations external to Gusto, they might have different ideas and opinions on how product marketing does or should show up. And so grounding them in like, here's how we do product marketing at Gusto. And like, tell me what's happening within your product teams and what are you being bold against? How do you track and measure? And where do you have an opportunity to build those shared metrics so that you have aligned goals and you have aligned incentives? I think that's really great. And some of it's going to be a work in progress. Like not all this is going to get sussed out overnight and figured out overnight. So also just let it be fine that it's going to be a topic of conversation over time and it's going to evolve over time. And hopefully you can get more strength and alignment in those sessions. That's so great. I love that. Again, with the shared metrics, bringing it back to the goals. Love it. Full circle of this conversation. (laughs) All right, great. Well, now I'd love to move into the rapid fire questions and starting off, I'd love to understand who have been your strongest mentors throughout your career, product marketing or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been really fortunate to learn some really, really talented marketers and product professionals really in my career. The first one that comes to mind is Kevin Hunt, who now leads product marketing at Magnite. He was a product leader for many years and then moved into the marketing realm and is now in the hybrid kind of product marketing role. And I think that Kevin is just a shining example of how to dream big and make it real, which is one of Gusto's values, even though he doesn't work at Gusto. But he just has boundless creativity and and unsurpassed ability to create inclusive cultures that I think really encourage innovation and keep us at the forefront and ahead of competition. 
when I started at Gusto, my first PE at Gusto means people empower. You don't have managers at Gusto. You have people empowers that are meant to, yeah, empower, unblock your work and make sure that you're able to do your best work. So my first PE was Emily Ritter. And I really appreciated and learned a lot from her focus on metrics and measurement and just GSD attitude. She was someone who could do the strategy, do the high level work, and then also just roll up the sleeves to get things done when it needed to get done. And then I was lucky enough to report to Gusto's CMO, who is now our CRO for six to nine months. And I can't say enough about the incredible leadership and marketing prowess that Talithia brings to the table. She's just been someone I find so inspirational. I feel really, really grateful for her mentorship and support over the years. It's a big reason that I continue to stay at Gusto and really love my job. And then finally, I've been able to learn so much from Kimberly Schick, who I think brings so much incredible brand and research prowess and really appreciate how thoughtful she is in terms of a consistent integrated approach to to PMM and creating a more scalable organization. I love it. This is so great. It's like your board of advisors from careers past and (laughs) that are helping you guide the way. This is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. All right. I'd love to understand if you can boil it down. What has been the one thing that's been the most important in growing your career? Oh, the one thing. I think for me, it's probably just been saying yes. I think when opportunity strikes, you know, the ability to say yes and carve out time and energy to dedicate to something in my career, some opportunity at a company has been probably what's gotten me most to where it was. Volunteering for stretch assignments, identifying what those stretch assignments are that you're really interested in and making a proposal around them. So as one example, last year, we had had a customer success, a CS motion dedicated to employers, but we didn't have any of that dedicated to accountants. And I really, really wanted to see us be able to have the same impact on accountants as we were having on employers through this customer success motion. But we didn't have anyone dedicated to it. There was no one leading the charge, but I went ahead and I worked with my segment lead to draft a proposal for what that would look like for accountants. And I was able to curry enough favor to get one person's time dedicated to an experiment for 10 weeks. And I just kind of stood up this program from nothing, mostly like all bootstrapped in my spare time. And it was really cool. It actually went really well. We hit all of our key success metrics. And a few months later, we got two people dedicated full-time to doing CS on accountants. So I think just identifying and volunteering your ideas, your time, your services in places that you think can make an impact on the company really will get you visibility and really has helped propel my career. That's so amazing. And I can tell that it's something you're really proud of too, that you were able to build it out of nothing, create the proposal and actually get it to fruition. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. I do love like zero to one type of problems. Yes. I love it. All right. Just a couple more for you. Why product marketing? Yeah. So I participated in DECA in, I don't know, middle school or high school, and it's a professional development organization that's dedicated to identifying like marketing professionals earlier on and having programs in middle schools and high schools. And I participated in some competition based on the recommendation of one of my teachers at the time. And I won some like statewide competition. I loved marketing and I just never looked back. No big Um, deal. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I studied marketing in college, started working in 
the tech sector and realized that within marketing, started off small tech companies where you're wearing a million hats. But I realized that the part of my job that I love most was really working with product managers, developers, and working more on the technical side of the house. And I think for me, it's because it's such a great combination of art and science. There's so much opportunity to understand your core customer, what they care about, bring that creativity to work, but never lose sight of impact measurement, KPIs, all of that. I'm very, very passionate about. So I really do just love the art and science of product marketing. That's so amazing. I love that story too. Starting off in middle school and never looking back. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, I know that you have just given a talk for the winter game. So it's about driving unity and inspiration through strategic narrative. And I'll make sure that that's linked to our show notes, but is there any other way that our listeners can stay in contact with you or anything else that you'd want to leave us with today? Yeah, yeah. To get in touch with me, feel free to get in touch with me via Sharebird, asking questions that way. LinkedIn, hit me up there. I'm all ears. I love connecting with people in the product marketing space because of course, at various moments, we're all hiring. And so I love expanding my PMM network and making sure that I'm able to put that hand back and help people answer questions that will help them in their career development. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. This was chock full of information. I love this episode. It was so wonderful to meet you. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, Mary, thank you so much. It was so fun to chat with you. And yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation some other time. Absolutely. Thanks. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com. We'll also link Leah's AMA in the show notes. 